Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good day, and welcome to another edition of Art Talk. I am the host, Laura Beldovs, at Cedarburg Public Library. And today we are talking to local artist Jack Pachuda, and he has a very interesting background. He originally is uh, schooled in radio and television, and has degrees in both, and uh, has later in life... Um, decided to become a printmaker and uh jack how about we talk a little bit about that what what brought you to printmaking well what brought me to printmaking laura it really was a friend of mine an artist named sylvia chantler who lived in cedarburg and i admired her work quite a bit so we talked about it and she was working with an artist here locally named paul yank and paul was an artistic genius and i say was because paul died in october of last year Mm -hmm. Uh, but he did lots of things around the area he worked at the milwaukee public museum he also helped with the wisconsin pavilion at the uh, world's fair in new york and there are just fountains and sculptures around the area that uh, that paul achieved in his life. So that was his medium was sculptures and fountains. He, he always signed 3D. his name Paul J. Yank S. Okay. Even when he was doing prints. Uh-huh. He, even his prints have the S after it for sculptor. That was his main main reason for being in art. But I went there for, for an eight-week course, mm-hmm. and I stayed 16 years. Yes. So what, tell us about this course, because you say that Paul Yank was a sculptor, but you are a printmaker. So. Well, Paul was a master of all sorts of media, and at a certain point in life, Paul died when he was 88. And his sculptures, by the way, one will be installed here at Boy Scout Park. Oh, okay. Uh, in, it's, it's May. It'll be installed this year, hopefully mm-hmm. this uh, this month, if not this month next month and Paul at a certain point couldn't do all the lifting and all the the things that were required of being a sculptor because he worked big and uh, he went into printmaking 
he, he could also paint, of course. He was a potter. You name it, and Paul could do it in the field of art photographer. So printmaking became uh, his, his passion. And there are three presses now at the Ozaki Art Center, which are sitting idle right now, unfortunately. Yes. But uh, Paul's daughter, Karen, is also a, a sculptress, and she plans on revitalizing the art center. She'll be here when the new sculpture is donated in Boy Scout Park. So Paul got into printmaking, and he started giving classes in printmaking, and I started taking the classes. And, you know, I, I've always been able to draw. I've always been good at art. But at a certain point, you find your medium, Mm-hmm. Right, you, yes. you find what you really like, mm-hmm. and I just fell in love with printmaking, and I was there for a long time. Now, is there a specific? I mean, there are many different kinds of printmaking. Did you learn in that eight-week course the different kinds? Well, or was Paul always called them mono prints. The reason okay. being, there was one of each kind, mm-hmm. and most of the of the prints that that I do, and you have five of them here in the library right now. Uh, come off of two different presses. There was one press that, in effect, a flatbed press where you press different objects onto an ink plate. And then he had this wonderful German press that wouldn't fit in my living room. My wife will not let me put it in my living room, Laura. It's just, what, a, what a shame, what a shame. But it is a, a press that has a drum. And you can transfer images to the drum and then run those images off on different backgrounds. And each one is unique. Yes. Because the background is unique, and then you finish each one off in a very unique way. So they are monoprints. Now, we always said to Paul, you've got to get your own term, because the way that he would produce a monoprint is not what you will find in a textbook. Mm-hmm. You know, I have done art shows, and I will have people come up to me and say, how is that a monoprint? Well, mono means one, and there's only one of them, and it is a print. Right. Therefore, it is a monoprint. Right. But your your works are very interesting because you have the printed background, but then you build on top of it. I, I render in ink and colored pencil, which, of course, I learned from, from Paul also. Mm-hmm. But I've always been able to draw, and so this combines the printmaking with the drawing. Mm-hmm. And the, the rendering is the real key to the things that I do because most of my images, the finishing work is what people notice. And I get lots of comments about the way they are shaded and the way the colors work together. I like to use vibrant colors mm-hmm. and I like to layer different colors on top of each other and it gives it a very unique look. Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of um, like things that come through from the background that uh, make it very interesting. That's because we make the ink transparent. Mm -hmm. So when you do the background, you have all these wonderful shapes and objects and textures, and then you mix it with a certain kind of varnish that makes the ink transparent. Very interesting. So so then when you stencil the ink on, some Mm -hmm. of the background comes through, and you can do that in many different ways. And sometimes you don't really know what color it's going to turn out looking like, Right. but whatever you do is the right color. So, I'm sure your artwork in the process of making it takes a lot of turns. That Maybe you had an idea in the beginning, but it, it certainly evolves. There are two ways of doing that. Okay. For one thing, you know, I, I, I told people this. I would go into the studio and people would say, what are you working on today? And the answer was, I really don't know. Because you get into the studio mm-hmm. and you make the backgrounds and the backgrounds look like something. Right. And then when you see what the background looks like, You get this idea, and suddenly you have a piece of art. There were many days I would go into that studio and really not even know what the product would be like, but there was always a product. Now, I say that day, it takes more than one day. Uh, When you are working with inks, Mm -hmm. for one thing, you have to let the ink dry. 
right? And then you layer inks, and then you put on the pencil and the, the markers and all the other stuff. I, I tell people, too, when you're my age and you ask for colored pencils and magic markers for Christmas, they kind of look at you strangely, you know, going into a second childhood. But the, uh, the final, final work is all done with colored pencil and, and markers. And it takes a while. I, I could uh, tell you about the whole process, but if you have a couple hours, I'd be happy to tell you about it. It's not a simple process. I tell people it's not a quick paint. You know, it's not like Van Gogh who went out in the morning and brought back three to five paintings every night. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. Right. Uh, it takes a while. Yeah, there's always that conception people have that artwork, you know, uh, artists are just cranking out pictures one after another. And for some artists, uh, they might be very disciplined and um, and have that uh ability to um or at least that's their style of working is that they they're very quick and and fast whereas other artists it, you know it's more contemplative and and more of a process and and sometimes the the materials that you work with uh demand that you have to work slower and well planner artists are they are marvels at this because mm-hmm. they will uh, start a painting in the morning and by the afternoon it's done. They can do two or three paintings a day because they're used to being outside and working in that environment. Right. This is not that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, this requires presses. It requires waiting for ink to dry. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just have to step back and take a look at what you really have. Because a big part of it is seeing things in there that you might not otherwise see. Right. Uh, one of the things that Paul would always say, and we started to write down all of the Yankisms, you know, the things that Paul would say, one of the things he would say is take what it gives you. You didn't know it was going to be there, but it's there. Right. So use it because it's there. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of my work, and, and uh, out here too, a couple of the things that, that you have hanging in the, uh, the library right now, I didn't see the images at the beginning, but after a while you take a look at it and you see something and lo and behold, it becomes part of the art. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I used to... Um do a surface design class and uh, learn how to dye fabric. And a lot of times you would put in a piece of fabric in a dye pot and after a time take it out. And uh, the the way the fabric and the dyes interacted with each other came up with some very surprising results and very much the same process. So. And that is, that is one of the processes. Now, another process, and we talked about the fact that I, I was a featured artist at Channel 1036 Auction a few years ago, mm-hmm. and they asked me to be part of the Wisconsin collection. So I thought, what do I want to do? I picked whooping cranes mm-hmm. because, of course, we are you know, International Crane Foundation. We've got cranes all over the place here. Right now, the sand hills are everywhere. There's a that that lovely call that attaches to the wild, and I hear it in the backyard of my house every morning. I live out in the town of Cedarburg, and the whoopers, uh, George Archibald, who founded the International Crane Foundation in Baraboo, they reestablished the migrating flock of whooping cranes from Wisconsin. So I knew I wanted to do whooping cranes. Mm -hmm. So I went to different sources on the internet and I just found images of whooping cranes and I made very cursory, very uh, short look, uh, not really detailed uh, cutouts of cranes. And I wanted to do the mating dance. So I, I started putting different pieces cranes together and just kind of looked at them and finally I found an arrangement that I liked mm-hmm. and I rendered it and 
printed it onto different backgrounds, and they auctioned it off at Channel 1036, and they auctioned off 100 copies of the print they made, and I got a nice handshake, but I love those people. I, I like Channels 1036. They did a great job with that, with that uh, art auction they had on Channels 1036. Tell us a little bit more about some of your other pieces that are hanging in the library. There's one called The Shaman. Well, the pieces that are, are hanging in the library, for the most part, you'll see that, that my art is outside art. I'll put it that way because I, I don't do uh, still lives. I don't do things on the inside. Most of my art takes place outside. And if you take a look at the art, there is one piece that developed to be an inside piece of art, but only because it looked like an inside piece of art. But I, I tend to focus on wildlife. I tend to focus on the outdoors. Mm-hmm. I've got prints of uh, whitewater rafters, of uh, mountain climbers, and uh, some of the prints you have here. You've got an, a shaman that is right in the middle of that exhibit. And that, again, came with all kinds of symbols. I, I have sold that uh, to some Native Americans. For one thing, I was told that I was one of the few Caucasians that, that one of them ever met who could draw a Native American face. Oh. And the, the other thing was, mm-hmm. he said, I, I see symbolism in here that the average person wouldn't see because there's feathers, there's turquoise, there's all sorts mm-hmm. of things in there. Mm-hmm. And that developed, too, based upon the background. Sure. You know, I, I could it. see the shaman in the background, mm-hmm. and just like when you are growing up with the books that say, connect the dots, I connected the dots, and lo and behold, I had a shaman. Now, that was one of the pieces out there. I have a, a deer out there, too, and that deer is one of several deer, but that deer is printed on a background that was another piece of art. Mm-hmm. It is in front of a tree that is what is called a collagraph. And a collagraph is taking different uh, pieces and, and it, this is going to sound like kindergarten, rubber cementing them together. Remember rubber cement and all in kindergarten? Yes. Well, guess what? We still use rubber cement. And that tree was rubber cemented together and printed on uh, different backgrounds. And I have one with that tree that has a hummingbird in it, one that has a blue heron in it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wait, why don't I combine two things? I'll combine this piece of art with the deer, and I printed the deer on top. Okay. And if anybody comes in and takes a look at that print, that deer, and you mentioned it, almost seems transparent mm-hmm. because some of the background comes through. So you're looking at the deer, but you can see some of the tree coming through the deer. It's almost as if that deer is is hiding in the woods someplace. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of symbolism there. So, uh, also, tell me about um, calotypes, because, you know, you spoke about monotypes, but... Collagraph? Uh, or collagraph, uh, uh, Yeah, collagraph is really just taking different uh, pieces and... I don't want to say gluing them because gluing, you can glue them, but what you do is you place them on an inked plate mm-hmm. and then put that plate on a press, put a, a sheet of paper on top of what you have on the press, and then just press the ink into the paper. Okay. And the shapes that you get, you can work with. And the, the uh, paper that we use is BFK Reeves, which is a very high rag content paper. It's mm-hmm. a printmaking paper. And the reason for that is that with the ink uh, and the, the high rag content, when you put ink on it, it doesn't stay on the surface. It just absorbs it. It just you know sucks it in, mm-hmm. and it keeps the colors vibrant. It's not, it has no coating on it, so the ink actually goes into the paper. And I'll tell you a very quick story about that. I was at the uh, Picasso Museum in Malaga. Mm-hmm. in Spain, and there are several Picasso museums in Spain. And I was looking at some of the printmaking that Picasso did, 
I looked in the corner of one of the pieces and it said BFK Reeves. So I don't know, did Picasso use my paper or did I use Picasso's paper? I'm not sure which one it was. Yes. <laughs> so that paper's been around for a long time. And there right. are special uh, papers that are used for printmaking mm-hmm. because they do keep the colors vibrant. Right. And that's one of the keys to, to getting a good print. Sure, yeah, that's that's very important in uh, art making is making sure that your materials are archival and um, are able to... Uh, take the the materials that you put on top of it exactly exactly and, and the uh, the pencils and the markers that i alluded to and anybody who knows art will, will know this this uh brand is prismacolor sure yeah you know it's... prismacolor because with the pencils it's a very uh high wax content mm-hmm. so when you use prismacolor pencils the colors blend so you can put colors on top of each other and uh, you get a color that you didn't anticipate but it's always the right color that's amazing the final product always has the right colors in it mm-hmm. even though you didn't realize it would be the right colors at the beginning they always end up being the correct colors now you um talk about uh looking at nature as as inspiration are there how do you get that inspiration are you looking at photos or are you taking you know, walks outside well a lot of my my uh prints of nature i have a wolf and in the background when i came off the press i could see a wolf mm-hmm. i've got a buffalo when it came off the press i could see a buffalo mm-hmm. there are lots of times when they just are there sure and one of the things that paul used to do we, he did this with all the artists that are printmakers uh we'd have a, a background come off and we would turn it in all four directions you know what do you see mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. what do you see here what do you see here? Mm-hmm. And we'd find the direction that was correct and work with it that way. In the buffalo that I alluded to, you could actually see the shape of a buffalo in one of the shapes. Now, of course, I had to render you know, all the parts of the buffalo, sure. but you could see the buffalo. Sure. So it just happened to be there. Sure. So so you tend to look see more animals in these shapes rather than people? And, or... yeah, and, and I see people too. I mean, you have mm-hmm. another piece in here that uh, is a, a person in a, looks like a monk, a mm-hmm. cow. When the background came off of the press, the shapes that looked like the, the monk's cow were sure. there. From medieval times? It, it looks like, like medieval. Mm-hmm. And it, it I didn't know what it was going to be, but that's what it looked like. And in that uh, that print, you're going to see a torch only because when I finished the robe, it looked like medieval. And if you're going to have someone in a medieval setting, you probably need a torch. It looks like a castle. So that's why that one has the, the torch mm-hmm. in it. But I have I have uh, two other versions of that very same, same image in, in, the, in, the, in the robe. Mm-hmm. And one of them uh, is, uh, I, I did a... Uh, a dark skin version and this is one of the things that you do with art you experiment a bit because i had done the native american i had never done a dark complexion so what i did was i took one of the pieces and mm-hmm. i i intentionally did a did a dark complexion because i wanted to see how it would look i you know mm-hmm. you want to expand your horizons so sure. i did that so there is a piece and it's a it looks like a moor in mm-hmm. a robe then i have one other piece and they all have a table in front of them if you know they if you, if you take a look and there's a chalice in their hand and uh i i always make it sort of a meal type 
environment. Mm-hmm. And the one that you have hanging here in the library, I had one person come up to me and say, uh, which saint is that? And I always say, which saint would you like it to be? Right. Because I don't really <laughs> care. <laughs> it is an image, and you can figure out who you want that to be. Right, right. Yeah, part of uh, looking at artwork is bringing your own meaning to it. So. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you worked um, for a long time in TV and radio. TV and radio, yeah. I also was a professional speaker for about 11 years of my life, traveling around the world. Uh-huh. Uh, so when I, I tell people about my background, I, I tell them right up front, I have no, other than Paul's training, I have no formal artistic background, but I could always draw. Sure, yeah. Uh, um, so what, what made you finally cross over that from TV and radio to mm-hmm. the art? Uh, a lot of it was a day called 9-11. Oh. <laughs> Being a professional speaker, uh, yeah. when 9-11, I, I was actually on the platform, as they say in the profession, mm-hmm. giving a presentation when the, the towers came down. Oh, okay. And at the end of the pr- presentation, the uh, the person who was running the association I was speaking to said, we're under terrorist attack. And lo and behold, you don't go and speak to people when they're not even there, and you don't fly. And so I, I you know, I had the art background, and I also, uh, you know, this I'm a writer too, and I write murder mystery events. Okay. And so my murder mystery events also uh, took over, mm-hmm. and I now have lots of websites that sell murder mystery events too. Oh, okay. So I am a speaker, I'm a writer, and I'm an artist. So. Um Tell us about these murder mystery events. Oh, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> uh, there are different ways you can do this. I have yeah. kits online at mysteriesonthenet.com that okay. you can download and do your own party, uh, or you can hire me to facilitate an event. And I've also done full-scale theatrical productions as murder mysteries. And right now, uh, now the pandemic is, thank God, finally uh, becoming less of a problem. But I've been doing Zoom mysteries. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah going on. Uh, let me tell you about one in particular. I was booked by a a, uh, a woman in on the Isle of Guernsey okay. in oh. the English Channel. Wow. And uh, we did a Zoom mystery for her daughter's 21st birthday. Her daughter was in Bristol in England, and the guests at mm-hmm. the party were in Turkey, India, Canada, the U.S., England, of course, they were all over the world. So we had an international audience. Wow. And, and when I say we, I've got a group of actors. Some are local. You'll know some of the people here in Cedarburg. But I have a group of actors I've worked with for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And we're the cast. Okay. So, so we have taken a professional stage production uh-huh. and put it on the internet. And even my cast, by the way, is is nationwide. I've got an actress in Virginia, one in Louisiana. I, I've got a person in Texas I work with. I, I've got a gentleman in Oregon mm-hmm. who is one of my licensees that also does the acting. So even the cast is spread out nationwide. Wow, you're multi-talented, Jack. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. It's, you know, it's... It's it's fun mm-hmm. and and it it's in my wheelhouse if you know what I mean. All sure. these things are are what I do. So, do you find in your artwork that these other things come into your artwork as well? Well, I do have a series of mystery posters if that's what you're asking, you know, okay. mystery tonight. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, everything crosses over. When you mm-hmm. you say 
it's one thing. It's never just one thing. No, it one, one thing inspires another thing, and, mm-hmm. and and you go with it. And part of, of what you have to do, and you know this, is that in the arts you have to know when to stop. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest part of any piece of art is knowing when it's done, because you always want to go and tinker, and it's the same yes. with writing. You always want to tinker a little bit, and it's the same with speaking. You always want to change it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So the hardest part is to know when you are finished. Yes. Well, but don't you find sometimes you think you're finished, and you look at it again and thought, oh, maybe if I had done this or that. All the time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you are your own worst critic. Yeah. And, and normally the things that you go back and, and change are small things that nobody else would even notice. It's, it's a real minor detail, mm-hmm. but you look at it and you say, no, that's not quite right. And, and you mm-hmm. do something different mm-hmm. and nobody else would even know you did it. So it sounds like you like to experiment with a lot of things. Do you um, tell us about uh, maybe um, how you might approach one of your artworks? One of my artworks? Well, again, it's one of two ways. Either I have something in mind and I create the image and find the background that is appropriate. Mm-hmm. The other way, of course, is to take a background and figure out what that background says to me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, that's the best art. Mm-hmm. You know, I have one that, that uh, you don't have in the library, but I have in my studio at home, that is an Indian stalking in a wintry background. And when it came off the press, I could see a snowshoe in one location. I could kind of see a face in one location. I could see a quiver in another location. And just like I said before, I connected the dots, and lo and behold, there it was. But see, there's a challenge in that, too. Because you see something, and now the challenge becomes, how do I make it into a a work of art that actually says something? That's cohesive. Absolutely. Now, I watched your video that you did with the Cedarburg Art Museum, uh, where um, Samantha Landry interviewed you, and it uh, has you in your studio, and you're showing Samantha um, how you work with some of your, um, how how you create your artworks, and you brought out a bag of pieces yes. of stencils. Yes. Tell just, us a little bit about that. It's, yeah, it's just like the kids with a toy box. Uh-huh. You know, you open the lid and there's lots of stuff in it. You, oh, what do I want to play with right now? Well, what it is is when you are, are doing the prints, you uh, you make stencils to stencil on different colors. Mm-hmm. And when you're making stencils, you actually have pieces, of course, that, that you're cutting out. Right. Well, Paul taught us this, keep all those pieces. Mm-hmm. Because then what you do is you take out the old pieces and you start arranging them on an inked plate, mm-hmm. and you find an arrangement that looks really nice, mm-hmm. and you work with that arrangement. So all those pieces are pieces from previous uh, prints mm-hmm. that are just hanging around. And I don't know if you've been onto my, my Facebook page, but I put this on the Facebook page recently because Paul was such a wonderful person and you know wonderful uh, individual who inspired you. Uh, when I first worked with Paul, the, the shaman that I mentioned... Uh, came into existence so oh, roughly 12 to 14 years ago. Time flies when you're having fun, you know, Lauren. Yeah. So I had another of the same image printed on a different background, mm-hmm. and I finished it off last month. So between the two shamans, the one that you have hanging here and the one that is now in my studio, right. is 15 years difference. Wow. And it is... I won't say the exact same image because you're always tinkering and it's different colors and different images that you've incorporated, but they're 15 years apart 
off of the same run, off of the same series. We'd call them a series because it's the same image on top of different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. 15 years between the works of the same series. Sure. I I mean, I, I think that's uh, common with artists that they uh, revisit themes that they worked on before because, um, you know, it's something obviously that interested them and uh, maybe there's... A new something new that occurs to them later on that they want to try try to work into. I'll, I'll tell you another story about that. I uh, probably eight to ten years ago, roughly, I did a series of profiles and uh, also birds in flight of the same bird. So it'd be the profile of the bald eagle mm-hmm. and the bald eagle in flight. And I was able to use that same image to make an osprey. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is a Seahawk, but we don't talk about Seahawks around here because of the Seattle Seahawks. You know, we are Green Bay Packer fans. And I I used that same image for different birds. In fact, I made one into a a barn owl that was purchased by a a company in in Madison called Epic. They're a software company. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the art world, they say we make an epic sale. Well, that was an epic sale. Yeah. Well... Tammy uh, Strauss at the uh, Pink Llama Gallery said, "There's, there's a woman in here who really loves your art, but... She wants to know if you have any ravens. Oh. I said, well, no. Well, guess what? I now have ravens. There you go. Because that same series, I had some extras that were on different backgrounds. Yeah. That also had the profile of the eagle and the eagle flying in. I was able to take one of them and to modify it and to make it into the profile of a raven mm-hmm. and, and take the flying bird and make that into a raven also. So I now have a raven. There you go. So you you've mentioned that Paul Yank was a very inspirational and um, important part of your art life. Yes. Uh, are there other artists that have been very influential? Well, when you say that, I, when I go into art galleries, mm-hmm. uh, I look at specific pieces of art and look at how I can transfer that to what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that tree that I mentioned came from uh, uh, the New York. Uh, the Met, Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, mm-hmm. I, I saw some images in there that I liked, and I sort mm-hmm. of took note of how the tree was composed, and I used that tree. When I went to the Picasso Museum, same thing. Mm-hmm. So when you say, which ones do I like in particular? Well, the one I'm looking at at that time. Sure. You know, that's yeah. the one I like, because mm-hmm. they, they expand your mind, and they get you to think about different things, and, and how you can use the same medium to do something that you haven't done before. Oh yes, I always I always enjoy looking at artworks of um, artists that use what we call non-local color. So instead of rendering a person's face and what you would think is their the colors of their face, the artists use um, things like orange and pink and purple. Um, and what I, I find too, you're mentioning faces. That's interesting mm-hmm. because. I now see different things in faces. Okay. When you look at somebody, mm-hmm. you kind of see the, the shadows and the light part uh, parts of their face, and you see some of the, the different contours and textures in the faces, mm-hmm. and you can use that. But you you not, now no longer look at that person uh, the same way, because now you're looking at how the face... The parts uh, of the face? Yeah, the parts of the face, how mm-hmm. it attracts certain uh, certain features, how the light uh, focuses. Mm-hmm. And I, I tend to do that when I'm out. I take a look and, and see how the light is working to make that person sure. look the way they look. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. 
Um, so you mentioned that you have artworks on display around town. Can you tell us well, about Well, the Groman Museum downtown, and if anybody mm-hmm. has never been to the Groman Museum, they've got to go. Mm-hmm. It is by far the number two museum in Milwaukee. It is devoted to human endeavor. Okay. In other words, people working. Yes. Right? So I, my very quick and, and dirty background, my, my father went into the mines when he was 16, the coal mines. And we moved from a little place where I was born called Lore City, Ohio, which you've never heard of, uh, to Canton, Ohio. And he went from the, uh, the coal mines to the steel mills. Mm-hmm. And the piece that's hanging in the Groman is of steel workers. Oh, okay. And I call it Men of Steel. Mm-hmm. I also have a coal miner that I've done, too, as a tribute to my, my Slovak-American ancestors who came here to work the coal mines. Right. So that one is all, and that whole museum, which is a fantastic museum, is devoted to work. Mm-hmm. If people have not been there, by all means, they should go. And it's a League of Milwaukee Artists uh, exhibit. I, I was a president of the League for four years. Okay. And so, uh, you know, I, I still have a lot of, of ties to the League. Sure. Uh, the one in Plymouth, which has an opening reception, I, I noticed this is not going to be timely, but there's an opening reception tomorrow night at Plymouth. And it's uh, one of the my crane prints. I have six different crane prints right now. I mentioned the cranes that I did. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a sandhill crane, mm-hmm. one. I also have four whooping cranes, two of which have sold. And the one that's hanging there are Japanese cranes. Now, why is that? Well, because the body shape is the same. Mm-hmm. The, the difference is the, where the feathers are, the colors of the feathers. Okay. The blacks and the whites and, and mm-hmm. the browns. But if you just take a look at the body shape, Mm-hmm. It is the same body shape. And as I tell people, you can tell it's a Japanese crane because there's a pagoda in the print. I would not put a pagoda in anything but a print of a Japanese crane. Especially if you live in Cedarburg. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, Go ahead. I, I hope I've answered that whole thing about inspiration because I think inspiration is, is where you find it. I don't, I don't know there's any one thing that inspires you. I think it's just looking around and, and seeing things that that make you think about things a little differently. Oh, sure. I, I oftentimes uh, like to walk around and look at things and a certain color might be inspiring or the shape of something or, um, you know, any number of things. Absolutely. I, and that's where the best inspiration comes from. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think it's one of those, I don't think you go out looking for inspiration. I think it's like like a bolt of lightning. Mm-hmm. Right. You and just see something you go, whoom. Right. That's it. And it's it's the artist's task to find to feel that inspiration and then translate it into an artwork. Yes. I agree with you. Good. Yeah. So I hope that was an answer to your question about how that occurs because quite frankly, I really don't know how it occurs. It just occurs. Sure. Yeah. I well there are different styles of working. Um, there are other artists that might do uh, sketching or studies all the time because they have a specific goal or or piece that they want to create. And then there are others, such as yourself, who find inspiration in, in these uh, small things and make it into a great artwork. And I know the artists I, that do the sketching you're talking about, mm-hmm. and they plan out their piece. And I get the question of, why did you decide to put that there? And I really have to think about that answer. Yes. I don't know why I decided. It just, yeah. it worked. It felt right. So, yeah, it, yeah, it felt right. Mm-hmm. So I put it there. Mm-hmm. 
Now, you also uh, regularly show your works at the Holiday Fair. I am at the Holiday Art Fair pretty much every year for the last, mm-hmm. I don't know, 10, 12 years. And it's a wonderful event, not just for the people that come, but it is a, a great event for the people that come. It's for the artists, too. Mm-hmm. We have a group of artists. A lot of us have been doing that for longer than I've been doing it, even. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a lot of camaraderie there Mm -hmm. we know each other and our our booths are pretty much in the same location that they have been for the last 10 or 12 years Uh and we do potluck in the back and you know everybody brings food and and when the the uh the customers aren't there we are sharing a lot of things that uh it's less like a class reunion you know not that we don't see each other i mean we're all in cedarburg but the artist guild has about almost 300 members now the cedarburg artist guild it's a it's a when you consider cedarburg the city of cedarburg is roughly 12,000 yeah. i live in the town that's about 6,000 mm-hmm. so that's around roughly 18,000 people the guild is about 300 artists right yeah that's a lot of artists yeah it is now do you have any plans this summer of new works or um travels to well, I get up in the works. morning and I say what do I want to do today and I kind of go in that direction okay <laughs> I, I am I, I certain things I have to get done right absolutely have to get done uh-huh. but there are certain things that you say oh you know what I feel like doing this today uh-huh. uh, when I took out some of the backgrounds that I hadn't worked on in ages and you took a look at it and then my wife will tell you that then I focus I'm, I'm intense mm-hmm. when I start a piece of art I'm always thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Even when I'm not working on it, I'm thinking about it. Sure. And so I'll get up early and work on it. And even in the middle of the night, I, I, yeah, it's kind of crazy. But, you know, two and three in the morning, sometimes that's when your best work happens. You just sort of get up and start working on it. Right. Well, it's been a pleasure interviewing you today, Jack. Uh, well, thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure being here. So we have a, a number of artworks of Jack Pachuda's hanging here at Cedarburg Public Library. Uh, a number of his monoprints and calligraphs. And uh, be sure to stop in soon to see his works. And if you uh, are also around town, his works are also at the Pink Llama Gallery on Washington Avenue and the other uh, museum, the Groman Museum and the Plymouth Museum. It's at the Plymouth Art Center right now. Yeah, Mm. Uh, one of the crane prints. Great. Well, thanks for uh, talking with us today, Jack. Well, my pleasure. And this has been another edition of Art Talk. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.